on the Access Podcast. Let's recognize that there's plenty of people who are walking with same-sex attraction who are stewarding and surrendering their sexuality better than those who have opposite sex attraction. We're here to equip and mobilize you in identity and evangelism. Enjoy the episode. Well, hey, everyone. Welcome to the Access Podcast on this beautiful Wednesday. We uh, In this episode, we have Brad Claver with us today. Brad, how you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. So Brad is a, uh, is a coach slash counselor at Winning at Home. And we've done a few podcasts with him before, and he's actually spoke at Access uh, on a Thursday night last year. So Brad, if you would, just give a little introduction to yourself. Yeah. I know I said you worked at Winning at Home, sure. but yeah, yeah, what do you do there and kind of what are your passion points here? Totally. So I, I get to the chance of, of operating as a coaching director at Winning at Home. I've been there for a couple of years now, but uh, really I would say what what drives me is is this notion that the work that I get to do now is really in the whole line of welcoming people into open space um, where you know people get to be known, understood, and and engage more and more of who God has made them to be. Um, that is that is what I get to do under all the surfaces of goals and you know identity stuff and all that kind of stuff. Just like what does it look like for me to uh, to live in 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 the open? And so uh, that's it's kind of how I like to live and how I think we're meant to live. So uh, that that defines a lot of the work that I do at Winning at Home. Yeah. So we met. I, I, it's hard to imagine. I think I remember calling. I didn't meet you at first. Yeah. I remember we had a situation. I was in the youth group, and I had a student who was um, was found out a gal who had a girlfriend, and mm-hmm. she actually caught her doing some things with her girlfriend sure. at youth group. Yep. And you know, at the time, I was I like, I don't even know what to do right now. So I remember yeah. I I know Dan Seaborn a little bit, so I texted him, "Hey, do you have any recommendations?" And he gave me your number. Sure. Yep. And so I remember mm-hmm. I called you is right in the beginning of COVID, if I yep. remember right. Yeah. It was probably April of yep. 2020. And I called you, got your, um, asked you some advice and asked your opinion on some things. And from that, I was like, I was just blown away mm. by just your input and your, your perspective on sure. how to handle the situation that I was in. Yep. And from there, I remember we met in person and just really started to develop a, mm-hmm. in a sense, a, a ministry friendship yeah, or a friendship. Absolutely. And, and I've just really, I've gleaned so much from you mm. the last few years. And I'm just so, I'm really pumped that we have to have you on the podcast oh, again. Thanks, man. Um, so we're going to jump right into it. If yeah. you would, a abridged version. Sure. <laughs> Maybe yep. an abridged version yeah. of a little bit of your story. Sure. And how Christ has really worked in your life. Yeah. Um, this, your, just how, what Christ has done in your life never gets sure. old. I could hear it forever. Well, I would agree. I, I, I think it's a good story and it's not because of anything that I've done or contributed to it. In fact, I've contributed all the negative aspects yeah. to my story and, and it's a good story because of what God has done. But, um, you know, I grew up in West Michigan and in a lot of ways grew up as, uh, the golden boy, you know, the golden child of, of my family and of, uh, of my, my community, um, you know, and, and there's a lot that has, uh, as I've worked through my own stuff and gone to therapy and, you know, all that kind of stuff like that, unpacked a lot of reasons what was fueling that for me. But, um, you know, I think it's it's important to just kind of acknowledge is that, that the, the ideal me um, that I lived into for, you know, the better part of 25 years was uh, I'm the guy who doesn't do anything wrong. And I'm the guy that makes everybody happy and, and really, you know, living according to this notion of I am what others need me to be. And so uh, that became my, my focus without really even knowing it over time. Um, but all the while, I'm, I'm trying to display this golden, golden boy kind of persona 
um, while also carrying this deep seated shame related to my own journey of sexuality. And that being someone who has experienced same sex, same sex attraction since I was 10 or 12, um, really recognizing at that early age that, you know, I'm watching my friends and these boys in my class talk about girls and I'm going, that's not me. I, I look at boys the way that boys look at girls. And, um, and I was super confused. And I think because of the strength of that, that identity or that, that image of being this, I'm the guy who doesn't disappoint people. I'm the guy that doesn't do anything wrong. I'm the guy that, that is the glue even for my family. This was a major sticking point for me. Like this is wrong. This doesn't fit that. And so I was either, you know, I had the option to either you know, share those things or, or live into that ideal image of myself. And I chose that. And so, uh, for 25 years, basically held on to that secret, but also with that built up deep seated shame. And that came with all kinds of uh, secret behaviors, unwanted sexual behaviors, um, just understanding of myself, hatred towards myself, quite honestly. Um, and it all kind of came to a head actually, as I, after being in ministry for 15 years and then planting a church of all things, um, you know, planting a church is hard enough. And then actually like, I think that, that the work of planting the church is actually what drove me to this end of myself of going, I can't do this anymore. I can't perform anymore. And that's when I began to share, um, just the, the reality of what was going on under the surface. And, uh, and you were married. I was and married. Had, have, I've been married for, for you know, nearly 13 years. And married so to at a that girl, point, a, a woman. To a woman yep. yep. Have four kids at that point. Uh, we had been together for 10 years uh, before actually bringing her into that part of my my life. And um, and so that obviously came with lots of, lots of tumult and lots of pain and lots of brokenness and lots of healing that has occurred over the course of these three years. But uh, or not three years now. I mean, four years. Uh, actually, four years this week of all oh of my. all things. Uh, coming to share that with her. Um, but God has just done an amazing work of redeeming my life, redeeming our marriage, um, restoring an understanding of, of, of who I really am and that it has nothing to do with any of what I thought it had to do with. And so um, that's, that's the proclamation that I get to live into now. It's just like my, who I am is secure before anything and, any, and anyone has a say. Into yeah, it, you know, kind of brings up, you know, a topic in culture that, you know, we all are sensing, mm-hmm. which is this idea that our sexual past or history or our sexual desire or our sexual part of us is the most important part of us. Yeah. And it's right spoken to us through media. It's spoken to us through right, TikTok, mm-hmm. social media influencers, yep. movies, music. And when you, when we look at the Bible, when we look at Jesus, when we look at God's view of humans, we don't see that our sexual history or our sexual identity is the most impar- mm-hmm. important piece of us. Sure. Um, so if, if you, do you want to share a little bit? Yeah, yeah. Share a little bit about the importance of getting God's view. You had mentioned it, who God says I am yeah. as opposed to anything else yeah. and yeah. how important that is for us, not just for people who are same sex attracted, sure. but for people who have sexual sin mm-hmm. as a broad scope. Yeah. Well, I think, I mean, if we even zoom out even further than that, I mean, I think identity is all over our culture. You know, there's, there is, there is, there are many different things that we can glob onto that, that would, would 
give us this impression that we would be fulfilled or satisfied in who we are. You know, I think, I think the reality, the work that I do with people on a day-to-day basis is just this reality that most of us have, have lived into this belief that there's an ideal me. There is this ideal picture of who I think I have to be. And when we condense that down for every person, that could be, you know, my, my performance in life, my role that I play, my job or vocation for men. You know, I think a lot of times when you, when you, when you get in a group of guys, you know, and, and you ask that question of who are you, you know, the most natural thing that we do, you know, even how we started this morning, this morning, you know, tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, I'm a coach, you know, I mean, this this natural inclination of, of, of us to, to identify, with something we've done, with accomplishments, with awards that we've that we've you know won, books that we've written, yeah, books that we've you know, all of that kinds of things, like where our expertise is, and in our world it will always demand that from us because you see that all over the place. I mean, social media in and of itself is is just this 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 notion that you know we 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 paint this picture of ourselves. We get to we get to kind of uh, you know, lay out for the world who we want to be seen and known as, you know? And, and when I think about scripture, when I look at the gospels and I watch Jesus, you know, I, I think there's so many times I'm reading through the book of John again right now, because, you know, that is the place where Jesus, there's, there's, there's how many I am statements, Jesus speaking who he is, but along with that, the reality that, that you've got Jesus who is in our world, who is, who is facing the same sorts of pressures. You know, Scripture is clear. It says Jesus was tempted with every, every sort of temptation that we may, have, we may experience ourselves. But I think what, 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 what changed the dynamic, people can say, oh, because Jesus is God, right? Well, yes, Jesus is God, but also there's this reality that Jesus consistently says, I only do what the Father tells me to do. I say what the Father tells me to say. I am who the Father says that I am, that the Father and I are one. And, and I think the, the reality of that is that, you know, Jesus is walking in his true identity as a, as a man, yes, as God, but as a man on this earth. And the, 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 the reality for him and, and, and really ultimately for us is, 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 is I guess the difference here is Jesus was so tied to the voice of the Father, just so tied to communion with God in such a way where he's constantly getting away. You know, he has these high pressure situations. He has this day of long day of ministry and then he disappears. And, and everybody's like, where, where did he go? It's, he's with the Father. And we know very little of what happens there. We, we know very little of what he's what he's doing with the father in, in those times when he's alone, except that he's with the father. And so I think for us, just when it comes to the, 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 no, the, the nature of our true identity, it, it must flow from that ability to be with the father and to hear from the father and to hear what the father says of, of who we are. And that reality that before and after anything that we do, Anything, any mistake we've made, any, any accolade we've achieved, our identity has already been secured in him. But if we don't know that, 
if we're not consistently returning to that, then it's very easy for us to, to, to miss that and, and see our identity being in our behavior or our achievements or our performance or our ability to, uh, to live up to that ideal me that, that we've had when in reality, that's just going to exhaust us. So when, so when somebody, right, when you're coaching someone, working with someone yeah, and cause I would say most people have this ideal me type of everyone does. Yeah. You'd say bent or mm-hmm. subconscious belief about themselves. So what are, what are ways that you get someone to like help them discover yeah. the fact that they have an ideal version mm-hmm. of themselves that isn't consistent with scripture, sure. especially for a Christian, right? Yeah. Cause we're talking to a Christian crowd. We're mm-hmm. talking to young adults who are, who are following Jesus. Yep. How do you, how do you recommend somebody discovering that sure. ideal me? And then what steps would you help? Yeah. What steps would you give them to help them sure. discover God's view of them? Well, I think, you know, one of the things that, that oftentimes is a catalyst for discovering of that is the question of, you know, what's exhausting to you right now? You know, what do you, what do you feel like, you, where is the area of your life where you're feeling most exhausted? Which is very different than being tired. You know, all of us get tired, but there are elements of our lives where we feel like, oh, I just, I feel so heavy here, or I feel, I feel like I'm carrying this, or I'm exhausted. Um, and that oftentimes has been a, a helpful catalyst for people to go like, I just feel like I have to always do this, or I feel like I have to always be this. Um, another, another element of, of, of questioning there would be pay attention to where you're afraid. Pay attention to your fear. Where, where in your life are you afraid? And what are you afraid of? Oftentimes that fear is I'm afraid that I won't, you know, I won't live up to this standard or I'm afraid that if I, if I did this thing or, you know, for me personally, it was, I'm afraid that if someone were to know about not only my same sex attraction, but what I did with it in secret, that I would get kicked out. That in and of itself is, is rooted in this core identity of belonging. That if I am exposed for who I am, for this struggle that I have, then my belonging is at risk and is threatened. So I'm afraid that I'll be, I'll be unaccepted. Our acceptance and belonging is already hidden and secure in Christ, given to us by the Father. But if I don't know that, if I don't rest in that, if I'm not consistently coming back to that, then my belonging and acceptance is based on others' opinions of me. Yeah. And so sometimes it's, where do I feel exhausted? Because the exhaustion comes because that ideal me says, be this, do this, act like this, achieve this. And we think that the result of that is going to come like, I'm going to get there and it's going to be, oh, now it's, I've got it. It's a moving here. target. Though. I've gotten it. But the goalposts keep it's moving. It's a moving target. Yeah. It is. It, it will never be enough. And the reason for that is because we think that if we achieve those things, then, our, then we're going to get our needs met. Our desires will be met. The problem is, is that God has rigged the system in that he's created and formed us beautifully, wonderfully made, right? But he's formed us in such a way where those desires and needs that, that we all have, the, the desire to be seen, safe, comfort, you know, secure, all that. He's created those things in us as good, but to be met perfectly in him. And 
we won't actually experience those things be satisfied unless we are drawn to him. Uh, and, and so the reason why the goalposts always move is because these things that we say, if I can achieve this, or if I can reach this, or if I can live into this identity that way, then I will be satisfied. Then I'll be able to rest there. And instead it's like, Oh, it's just moved again. Yeah. To flush that out, even just as to give examples that are popping in my head, I'm thinking, right. Guys who are single and they're like, if I only could have a girlfriend, yep. right. If I could mm-hmm. only, or a gal who's listening and she's like, I just need the ring. Yeah. <laughs> I just need the ring. Mm-hmm. Right. I need to get a husband and I want to have a family and then, or it's, or it's, it's, uh, people who are same sex attracted. If I can only act out on my sexual desire yeah. Or if it's guys who have this strong sexual drive and mm-hmm. urge, if I can only just have sex with this type of gal, and yep. then I'll be happy. And mm-hmm. and that's kind of how I, I I hear you talking. I'm like, that's what fleshes out for me. Yeah. And, and I think what I've noticed is that these needs that we have, right, to feel safe, to belong, mm-hmm. it's often that sexual sin is the avenue in which we try to medicate Absolutely. our deepest needs. Mm-hmm. You know, some people, right, will go and they'll, go to the gym and they'll get huge and yep. other gals are really, you know, diet and do their hair and get put a lot of makeup on and try to present themselves and right. They're insecure, but they're trying to present as something else. Yep. And, and right. We can, we can medicate and, and hide our insecurity in a lot of different ways. But I've just noticed as being a pastor for, for six years, that sexual sin is the most common avenue in which people medicate their deepest Absolutely. pain. Yep. And it's not even like, right. And this isn't, this episode, we'll probably talk about same sex attraction. We'll talk about, homosexuality. I know you don't like that term, but, uh, <laughs> but we'll talk about same sex attraction sure. and, and, and whatnot. But I, I want to say this, like, so it's so like we're in a clickbait culture, yep. right? Where it's like, we want to, we want to get answers and we want it to be binary and we want it mm-hmm. to be super clear and black and white. And in a lot of ways, like the same way that a heterosexual person who's, who's sinning through pornography, masturbation, or through having sex, right? Outside yep. of marriage. And the same things that are happening to that heterosexual person are actually happening to the same sex attracted person, yep. right? Yep. There's a deeper need. There's a deeper um, pain point, insecurity mm-hmm. that we're trying to medicate that we're intended to go to Christ to meet, but we're yep. going to other humans mm-hmm. and we're going to um, we're going to other avenues that yep. are sinful and that are that are very sinful. Mm-hmm. And it's just it, in it, I think it's a great conversation to have for us is just to say, yes, it's sinful and we need to recognize it as yeah. sinful, whether that be heterosexual sin or same sex attracted sin. But mm-hmm. the solution isn't just in beating ourselves up that we're right. such sinful, terrible people. Yep. The solution is allowing God in on our brokenness mm-hmm. in the deepest places of our hearts yeah. and allowing Christ to meet us. And really, like you said, going to the father mm-hmm. and allowing him to know us. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's when I, when I, even for my own journey and my own, my own work, my, what was going on in my own life, but what I, what I get to navigate with people all the time now, you know, I have people come in, uh, ministry leaders, you know, oftentimes coming in my office and you just tell, like, I I think, and I'm, I'm speaking as a pastor. I was a pastor for 15 years. I still feel like the work that I do is, is as a pastor. Sometimes we as pastors, we're the worst. And and the reason for that is not that we're we're worse than anybody else, but like there's this there's this expectation that we feel we have to be spiritual experts, we have to be moral know, experts, moral experts, yeah, all perfect. of those things, and that that we're not allowed to struggle. I mean, in a lot of ways, you know, a lot of a lot of folks in the churches don't 
don't want their pastors to be someone who struggles. And yet, if you're a human and you live in this world and you're still walking in a fleshly body, you struggle. Well, especially in our culture because it's so hypersexualized. Totally. You can't even... Yep. You can't go anywhere without getting a sexual message, whether it be a song or movie, Instagram, an ad, going to the mall. It's literally Mm -hmm. everywhere. And and the question that I think is is important to ask ourselves when, because when we look at our, the ways in which maybe we've acted out or we've we've utilized sex as a method for, for, for developing an identity, you have to ask the question. You know, I think we get so 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 like. I guess, focused in, hyper-focused on the symptom, which is our unwanted sexual behavior. And, and I, I use that term of like, that could be pornography, it could be uh, fantasy, it could be sexually acting out with another person. And I really believe that, like, even though in those moments, like, there's times where it's like, feels wonderful, feels pleasurable, and it's not actually what I'm wanting. But, you know, when those things exist, the question is, what's the pain underneath that? Because there always is a pain point that's connected to that. And that pain point, if you, if you pull that thread far enough, long enough, uh, you're going to find that that pain point is the belief that I have about myself is this. And it's steeped in pain and shame and woundedness. And it needs the, the affection of the Father to be applied to it. But in order to experience that in order for the father to actually like love us at that point of our greatest pain and to experience the renewing work of his his method of uh, message of 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 identity over us is we got to come out from behind the bushes Hmm. that's scary we got to come out from behind the bushes i mean you think about it like if you go all the way back to the beginning when adam and eve uh when when adam eve eve uh, you know sinned when sin came into the world, they hide, right? Their, their immediate response as a result of seeing their nakedness was in shame they hid. They made, they made clothing out of, out of fig leaves for themselves, but then they hid. And the very next thing you hear is, is you read is, is God is walking through the garden and he says, not what have you done? It's where are you? Where are you? Who told you you needed to hide? In his invitation at the very beginning, his his first connection point isn't about their behavior. Is it about is it about I need to see you? You need to be seen by me. And it's actually in the 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 scary nature of when we are fully seen, when we are fully known, we are we come out from behind the bushes. And this isn't like a one-off like I'm here. I'm out from behind the bushes. I'll never have like, no, we are prone to go back into the bushes over and over again. But when we make it effort to, to consistently coming to that place of being seen and known firstly by God in the presence of our shame, in the presence of our sin, in the presence of our false identity mindset, it is there where we get to be tended to. It's there where we get to experience his loving kindness and his generosity of, 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 whoa, yeah. What if people aren't experiencing that when they go to God? Right. Yeah. Not, not that yeah. he doesn't want to, but mm-hmm. I mean, I'm, you've been a pastor. Yeah. I've, been, I've been, I've not been in ministry Great as question. long as you have, but I've noticed, I've, I always recommend people go to God. You know, he's a good mm-hmm. father. He's lo- He's so kind. He's going to be gentle with you. But yep. a lot of people, their shame when they go to the father, they filter everything through their shame yep. and through their bad, 
Mm -hmm. I would say bad theology of the nature of God and the character of God. Well, you just used a great word, filter. We all have filters. We all have this lens through which we look at the world, the lens that we look at at each at at each other at ourselves but we hold that lens up to god we 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 look at that at god through that lens here's the thing god didn't form that lens for us our formation of that lens came from our experience came from maybe family of origin or a pastor yeah from our experience of you know what was what was communicated on a regular basis of like for me again if i go back to my own experience that early formation for me of i like being known equals getting kicked out. That that was the equation for me. Letting people into this struggle, letting people into this. And that came through some some specific formative experiences. For yeah, me. so if somebody would have told you go to the go to God, it probably wouldn't not that it wouldn't have helped. Yeah. It it would have sent me in this place of like but he's going to kick me out. Yeah. And and here's the thing, like we can tell people all the all we want. Go to God, go to God, go to God. But first with the question we have to go, what are you expecting God to do in the presence of your of your sin and your shame? What are your assumptions of him? Of of what his response might be to you? Because we all have them. You know, we we all have. And 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 for me, my assumption of God is that I am most loved by him when I am performing well for him. When I'm doing everything the right way, when I'm when I'm when I'm serving him, when I'm giving my my time and my efforts and my money, uh, then he's pleased with me. I got to work on that first. Because I got to ask that serious question of, well, where'd that come from? Or what if that's not true? What if that's not true? That's the next question. Absolutely. Like, what if your perception of God, what if your assumptions of his response to you may not actually be what he wants, how he wants? Yeah. And this is where I see, right, young people, because their view of God is in a sense scriptural Mm -hmm. because their sinful behavior is sinful. Yeah. Right. And Mm -hmm. so it's not that God's so happy that you're watching porn or he's not so happy that you're sleeping around. He's not so happy that you're whatever it is, masturbating, fantasizing. Yeah. He's not like so pleased with your sin. And so that's where that's a, in a sense, it's like, well, where do you go to get the view of God? It's like, you go to scripture, but people are going to scripture and saying, well, this is sinful. (laughs) And that's why God's going to be mad at me. And the, and the the point is, is you got to go to situations where Jesus meets sinful people who are humble and honest. What does Jesus do with sinful people who are humble and honest? Yep. What does he do? Yeah. He always embraces them. Yep. Always. Yep. Those of us always. who are those of us who are religious, those of us who are who give a, a picture of, of 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 individual strength of I do everything right. He, Jesus is very harsh yeah. with the religious people. He's incredibly gentle and compassionate and patient with those who who are willing to acquaint themselves with their brokenness, who are willing to identify like this exists in me. Jesus is patient with them. You know, I think about the woman at the well. The turning point of that is she's sitting here going, you know, give me this water that you're talking about. If if this is if this is living water that I'm never going to thirst again, like give it to me. And Jesus says, "Go get your husband." She has a split second decision to make there how how she responds in that moment 
will change the course of how that conversation goes from here on out. And she chooses humility. She chooses to, to recognize in, 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 in the presence of this man who's willing to dignify her that she does have sin, that she is broken, and it changes the course of her life and the community that she lives in. Yeah, she was the first evangelist. Yes. Yeah. And so even that, just recognizing that 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 Jesus, I mean, Jesus says all the time, when you see me, you see the Father. When you know me, you know how God, what, who God the Father is like. And so sometimes we have to wrestle with the fact that, like, I can read that in Scripture, but that is not my assumption of who the Father is. And then I have to ask myself, well, where did that come from? Where did those assumptions come from? Sometimes that assumption comes from the fact that I've over-identified with my brokenness. I've over-identified with my sin because I've been steeped in this pattern of unwanted behavior or sexual sin for such a long time that I've now said, I am this. Or I don't care that I do it anymore. Sure. Whatever it is, there's a lot of different totally. ways that people... And that apathy comes from, mm-hmm. from, from that. It's just, this is how it's going to be, you know? And so sometimes it's an over-identification with that brokenness ourselves, and sometimes it is through the messaging and the formation that we've that we've heard from around us. And a lot of times, it's all of that. Yeah, it's we're complicated beings. Yeah, totally. We're very very complicated beings. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think of just how often the in, in the way Jesus did right. You have the woman who gave the two mites. And you have the guys keeping money and mm-hmm. it's just so often that the outward appearance isn't what Jesus is looking for right, right? and and we live in a culture now so more than ever that yeah. pastors and leaders and social media influencers and it is all about image yeah oh yeah it's all about image it's about followers it's about influence and like god uses those types of methods to preach and reach people Absolutely. but those are not an indicator of health mm-hmm. or of really godliness yeah. at all, yeah. right? We all, we all have seen the pastors who are leading mega churches and they have moral failures, mm-hmm. right? And, and they deserve grace too, but, yeah. but yeah. we can't get in this point of our image or our, our, our outward appearance and our status in life is our, is our main identifier. Mm-hmm. I would like to, if, if you're okay with it, switch gears a little bit. Sure. And I want to really focus in it because I think you have a lot to offer here because I think there are people in our ministry, people in the church as a whole, more same-sex attracted people than we realize. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And I want to I want to give it I don't know an opportunity for you to to help me help our young adult ministry, our church family. What are like what are things that we could do to help I don't know, not that they need to come out. I'm not asking anyone to come out and mm-hmm. and confess their sin to me or to anyone else, but what do we need to do in order to help create an environment where it's not, where it's safe for them to exist as who they are sure. and to navigate their journey and their sanctification towards Christ. Yeah. yeah. That, does that make sense? Totally. Well, I mean, there's, there's, uh, I mean, it's a loaded question, but yeah. I, I, I mean, I think that what we're starting to see where the tip of the iceberg of this for sure, but I think more and more the, I think what we've seen in our culture with, with, with the pendulum swinging so far in the direction of, um, you know, full acceptance and, you know, love is love and, and in, and the way in which the church has, has been, you know, in a lot of ways brought into that. And, and because we've been so behind, I think what we see in, in a lot of, in a lot of specific churches is, is in that 
in that desire to catch up or in that desire to to you know right wrongs or you know heal heal where there's been hurt um we've we've the pendulum has swung in, in a in a pretty far direction the other the, the other way of like you know it's okay as long as it's monogamous as long as it's as it's you know it's it's committed and it's consensual and all of that kind of stuff like that and it's removed us from again from that place of but what is god's best and yeah. so i i think you know it's a that's a long conversation but i think one of the things that that is is just a helpful you know aspect of things is for so long we've had this conversation in sort of this i don't know like a, a, a dichotomous kind of a way where there's there's straight sexual sin and then there's gay sexual sin and we we kind of gloss over the straight sexual sin is like, well, that's just going to happen. Or like, you know, I mean, how many times did I sit in a group of guys where it's just like, yeah, I'm struggling with lust. Oh yeah, me too. Me too. You know? And it's, we kind of laugh it off. I'm like, yeah, it'll be, you know, on to next week guys. And me as a guy going, I, I'm not sure, you know, because, because the way in which the conversation, at least it's, it, it, it comes across of, well, at least it's not like that hmm. over there. And we might not even realize that that's what's what's being communicated or how that's being communicated, but um, it's being communicated. And I think one of the things that we have to we have to come to is like where we create where we create openness for the person who's experiencing um, uh, same sex sexuality or, or or orientation or however you'd like to communicate that same sex attraction is is firstly. Like we have to recognize that that just simply being attracted to something isn't a sin. You know, like we all experience attraction at some level or another. Purely having that attraction isn't sinful. It's what I choose to do with that that changes the dynamic of that conversation. And so I think one of the things that we have to do is, is recognize that there's a lot of people in the church who experience same-sex attraction and who are choosing, like really want to follow Jesus, want to surrender. And, and in a lot of ways, there's, let's, let's, let's not assume that everybody who has same-sex attraction is acting on it in, an, in, a, in a, you know, a broken way. Let's, let, let's, reality, let, let's recognize that there's plenty of people who are walking with same-sex attraction who are stewarding and surrendering their sexuality better than those who have opposite sex attraction at times, not always. And it's not this like, well, what's, it's not competition. That's not what I'm saying. But what I'm, what I am saying is that I think for the longest time, heterosexual, I hear you saying like heterosexuals aren't more holy than correct. We've aligned that just simply having the attraction is you're a broken person. Yes. And it's like, well, all people are, we all are broken in our sexuality, but that brokenness is exhibited through our behaviors. Um, through the actions that we take on that. And so I think, first of all, like laying that foundation of like all of it is in the same pot. You know, there's not this special heterosexual pot and then there's this, this you know, pot that sits on the back burner that we don't pay attention to. It's like, it's, it's, it's how, how we as a collective community steward our sexuality it happens in the same conversation. Because the thing is, is that you, you I mean, you already brought it up. There's plenty of people who would, who, who have a heterosexual sexuality 
who still have this thought of like, well, if only I could experience sexual behavior, if only I could get married and then have sex, I'm going to be okay. That is it's worshiping. It's that's no less idolization yeah. as as the person who might say, "Well, if I, if only I could act out on my uh, on my same sex sexuality, then I'm going to." It's the exact same phrase. It's the exact same hope. It's the exact same lie. And so we've got to we've got to bring that back into that place where where there's not an us and them kind of mentality, but it's we we collectively experience the 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 battle and the war of living. Uh, in a fleshly body filled with the Holy Spirit. And what do we do with, with these urges, with these desires? Because it's all about desire. And if we aren't talking about collectively about what's at the, at the, at the deepest part of that core, which is desire, then it just simply is about behavior. So it's probably going to have to be our last question. It's crazy how fast sure. time goes on the podcast, but so a young person loves like right loves jesus following jesus is same sex attracted or yeah. feel like feels attraction towards the same sex guy or girl mm-hmm. like what are you saying to them someone who's walked through it sure like what are you saying to them uh first of all i'm not saying anything to them i'm listening to them okay so that would be the first step listen to their experience you know in 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 the same way as somebody who's experiencing you know uh who's who's experienced brokenness in their own sexuality in in a same sex or an opposite sex way, but but for somebody who's walking through and experiencing same sex attraction, one of the first and greatest gifts that you can give to them is to is to dignify them in their in their story. I mean, it's what we're talking about. What we got we got we got to model after what Jesus does. Jesus's actions throughout Scripture, when it comes to those who are sexually marginalized or who who are who are on the fringes, depend no matter if it was a sexual fringe or 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 yeah, socioeconomic or whatever, his first his first action towards them was to dignify them. And I think we all share the reality that we are we feel dignified, and loved and cared for and accepted and affirmed and 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 feel a sense of belonging when 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 somebody listens to us. And somebody isn't first trying to, to give us anecdotal, you know, action steps or things like that, but just simply says, tell me what this experience has been like for you. You know, I think one of the most powerful experiences, because I didn't come out till I was 34. I'm 38 now. So, I mean, I experienced it differently, but I mean, the, the reality is like, you know, for that, that person who's been hanging on to this secret for so long, or who's been wondering who... Who's gonna Who's gonna really meet me in this place and really give? Maybe they've been afraid to share it at church. Maybe they right. told other people, but sure. In the church setting, they're like, "Yeah, I don't know about this." It's what's gonna be their response. One of the most powerful things that you can that you can, that that they could receive is somebody who isn't gonna respond in word, but is just gonna say, "I want to sit with you and I want to hear what this has been like." Because what this has been like has probably included a whole lot of fear. A whole, a whole lot of you know thoughts of of, of rejection of uh, it has certainly impacted and and uh, shaped the way that they that they understand the gospel or they understand God. Um, it it certainly has caused them to wonder about their future. And so, being able to just simply say, "Tell me about your experience first," gives us the ability to say, "Okay, when I've experienced the most powerful relationship with people." It was it was that that person was just willing to listen to my story, to empathize with the challenges that existed in it, ask questions, and not immediately 
separate themselves from it or rush to like fix it. Um, but to just simply say, you know, what does that look like for us to, to walk this out together? What does that look like for you to, you know, as I'm listening to that person's story, I'm going to hear things of how they feel, feel like they're, they're going to be rejected or that they'll be pushed to the side or they, they would be separate from other people. When in reality, the same desires and longings is, exist in me as a same sex attracted person as you as an opposite sex attracted person. And the, the, the core longings that we have should move us into community with each other, but also into communion with God. And so listen, ask questions to understand and to, to get a, a, a picture of that person's experience. You know, I use that language of experience because our world wants us to immediately, as you've already said, immediately identify as our experience. Like I have to immediately come out as gay. That's, that's what happened for me when, when I, when I shared about this, you know, people's uh, so I can't tell you how many people were like, so is he, so are you gay now? It, and I mean, it, we didn't even, we don't even recognize the fact that like, I'm just sharing my experience. I'm not, I'm not trying to identify as anything other than I want to identify with Christ. I want to identify with his goodness for me. I want to identify with who he says I am. But even within the church, it's like, we try to, you know, if something I don't understand, I'm going to go, well, are you this now? Because it is meant to help me. Like, it's easier for us because yeah. now we can label you. Yeah, now we can label you. So we do this. We even do this in the church. We can't just say it's out there in the world. Like, I mean, I can't tell you the number of people who are like, so, is, so, are, so are you straight or are you gay? And, I, and my answer would be like, well, what makes that important f information for you in terms of our relationship? What changes if I say one or the other? And so I think we have to be careful with even, even our, our assumptions or expectations of that because the reality is like immediately that question makes me go, why does that Unsafe, yeah. unsafe person, unsafe person, yeah. Versus what have you, what has this experience looked like for you? And tell me about that. Because that can really even help the person, mm -hmm. right? I would imagine, right? Because if they haven't talked about it a lot, if you, they start talking about their experience, they might even realize things about their yep. experience that they didn't even mm -hmm. consciously believe or even know yep. because they're able to process that with someone, totally. a trusted person totally. who and, loves them. And you can then apply that across the board when it comes to any area of, of sexuality. Like totally. somebody who's somebody who's been in, in secretive you know, porn use for years and years and years, who finally encouraged decides to come out from behind the bushes. That response can be, what's this experience been like for you? That's an incredibly healing uh, question to ask because it gives that person the ability, I, as someone who's experienced that myself, to be able to talk about that and go, I've been so isolated. I've been so riddled with shame. There's been so many days where I wish that, that, that there was a person standing in the window behind me to catch me because all I wanted to do was be free of this. And, and that ability to, to, give, to give verbiage, to, to, to give words to our experience. You know, I, I'd say this to people all the time. Shame, shame's greatest aim is to isolate us. Vulnerability's aim is to connect us. 
And so we connect through vulnerability when we share our experiences with one another. I think when you talked about, you know, us having this ministry friendship, I think one of the, if I think of our, of our two years together of knowing each other, I think one of the greatest gifts that we've, we've given to one another, I've received it as well, is the ability to connect from a vulnerability standpoint of totally. things. This isn't a one directional kind of a thing, mm-hmm. but we, we, we've, we've shared our experiences with one another and it's created a bond that is just, is beautiful and safe and, and holy. And we all need that and long for that. Yeah. So many things I wish we could continue to talk about, <laughs> Sure, but to honor your time, just I want to thank you for coming on the podcast and, and sharing your heart and just your love for people with us. Like, honestly, you're a, you're a gift to me, to our ministry and a gift to a lot of people. So once thanks, again, Jake. thank you so much, Brad, for being on the podcast today Appreciate and thanks you. guys for listening. See you next time. Hey guys, thank you so much for joining us today. If you found this episode helpful or impactful at all, go ahead and like and subscribe to our channel. Go ahead and share it to someone who you think it can impact as well. See you next time.